Welcome and thank you for tuning into this week's life-changing message from the Equipping Church. We pray you are empowered and encouraged by the Word of God. You can be seated this morning. I'm telling you, uh, I just sense the move of God. Sense the move of God. Hallelujah. I said last week I was going to preach on the gifts of the Spirit today. I did not lie, just so you know. I just got redirected. Sometimes that's how it works. I mean, if we're going to preach about the Holy Ghost, we better lean into His direction, right? And uh, as I was praying about this week and, and leaning in, and you can cut the music, um, as I was leaning in, I, I really felt like I needed to, to talk a little bit more about the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Talk a little bit more, and if I had to give it a title, it would be the strange and fantastic Holy Spirit. The strange and fantastic Holy Spirit. John 3, 8 is where I'm going to start this morning. If you have kids ages 2 to 10, they're released to children's ministry at the back. John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a great mystery where the wind comes from and where it's going. We can't ever figure out quite where the wind started. And you can't ever really figure out where it's headed. You, you might be able to get a direction. You might be able to stick your finger up and feel, oh, it's coming from that way or it's coming from this way. But you don't really know its origin and you don't really know its destination. You don't really know what started it. I'm sure we could get real scientific and we might be able to, to do all that. That's smarter than me. That's above my pay grade. I'm just going to preach this morning. But the wind comes from somewhere and it's headed somewhere, but its origin and its destination we do not know. It's a mystery. But the wind, you feel it, you experience it, and that wind at times will cause behaviors to change. I remember the first time I flew into Australia, I was going to preach on the Gold Coast, and I had a flight into Sydney, and I kind of have this thing that when I travel, we get unexpected weather. It's just something that happens. It's always a sign to me I'm where I'm supposed to be, but often it tries to delay things. <coughs> so my very first time into Sydney, we land, and I mean the plane is going like this, coming into Sydney, and when I get off the plane... I'm looking at the board to see where my transfer flight is because I'm flying from Sydney to the Gold Coast. I think I was actually flying into Brisbane and then driving up to the Gold Coast. And it said canceled, 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 canceled. Can Every single flight that day had been canceled. And I'm going, why is my flight canceled? And so I walk over and there's a queue. I mean, it just felt like a mile long. Everyone trying to find out, well, when's my next flight? And when I get, I said, what happened? And they said, well, what flight did you come in on? So I told him, I said, well, I flew in. I think I was flying from L.A. Into, into Sydney. They said the flight from L.A. was the last flight to land today because as it was coming in, unprecedented winds that we've never had at this airport hit the airport. And they said, we've had to ground every flight from leaving and from coming in. We've rerouted all the flights. We don't know what happened. We don't know where the wind come from. We didn't see it coming, but it happened about the time that you landed. So, sir, I'm sorry, you're stuck here for 24 hours. 
We cannot fly again for the next 24 hours. We are grounded. So I said, well, I've never been to Sydney before. This will be a great adventure. And Sydney actually is a very, very walkable city because it's got lots of uh, subways and there's all sorts of things to do. And so the Lord sent me on this 24-hour journey of visiting the oldest churches in Sydney. But when I got to the opera house, and at that time I was a much bigger person, my 350 pounds could barely push against the wind. There were little people who were literally getting knocked over by the wind outside the opera house. I've got videos of it somewhere. These little Asian guys were like almost flying through the air. I mean, it was kind of comical to watch. They didn't know where the wind came from. They didn't know where the wind was headed. But the wind changed behaviors. The wind changed directions for the people that were influenced by it. And Jesus says to Nicodemus here, that this is how those who are born of the Spirit, they are like the wind. And that's how it happens with the Holy Spirit, is that it can dramatically change our plans. It can dramatically change and demand a different direction. When He moves, everything He demands, everything is subject to change. We can ignore Him, but it will always be to our peril. And that is why the Holy Spirit cannot be reduced to some formula. Let me say to you this morning, there's no formula for revival. There's no formula for the move of God. There's no formula for miracles. There is only the wind of God. And we must constantly be aware of where His wind is heading, of what His wind is doing. Because if we'll catch the wind, if we'll catch the wind, we will be carried into our destiny. I want to pray and then we're going to really dive in this morning. Holy Ghost, you have preeminence. And I pray this morning that you would lead me and guide me, that I would be uh, sensitive to your moving this morning. I don't want to preach for the sake of preaching. I want to preach what you would preach, Holy Spirit. And I ask this morning that you would anoint my lips to speak your words. I recognize my total and complete dependence on you. Let there be an anointing that makes preaching easy because without you I can do nothing, but it is in you that I live and move and have my being. And I thank you this morning for your word that it's alive, it's active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it will do what you send it forth to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about fireworks and we've been talking, we talked about what it takes to have a fireworks display, that we've talked about all that... (coughs) We've talked about the purpose of fire, but I want to talk about the one who is fire this morning. I want to talk about the one who is fire. You know, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit in so many different ways. I mean, we can read the coming of the Spirit in Acts 2, and you can't explain people seeming drunk and fire appearing and speaking in tongues. It's all a mystery. We can't explain where it came from, and we can't necessarily explain where it's headed, but it's exciting, it's transformational, it's empowering, it's adventurous. And the wonders and extent of it all is demonstrated. I mean, we can look at all the ways that the Holy Ghost and the move of God is described in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Wind and fire and breath and oil and water. I love what uh, the stories of Jack Coe. He, when he first got baptized in the Holy Ghost, he heard one person on this side of the church, Lord, send the fire. And then he heard someone on this side say, Lord, send the rain. And he says, I'm confused. Do I want the fire or do I want the rain? You want all of it. 
And then he would hear him pray, Lord, fill me up. And then he'd hear someone else say, Lord, pour me out. And he'd say, what do I want to be, filled up or poured out? You want all of it. So whether it's wind or fire or breath or oil or water or wine or, or whatever it is, if he's the comforter, if he's the counselor, if he's the convictor, if he's the guide, he's the revealer of secrets, he's the teacher, he's all of it and he's God all by himself. It's so fantastic, it's so powerful, it's so mysterious and it's, it's amazing. And when you get to know Holy Spirit, you begin to realize what an adventure we are on. I love the way Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It says this, But we have this treasure in earthen containers, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Get that right there. Stop right there. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God. Revivals of God. The move of the Spirit is of God. Whatever He's doing, it's of Him and it's not of ourselves. Now, God will breathe on the prayers of His people. God will respond to the hunger and desperation of His people. But ultimately, we recognize we have this treasure in our earthen vessels so that we will recognize it is not of my own doing, but it is of God. He goes on to say, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 11, for we who, are, who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. We come to these painful things occurring, but the conclusion is we are not crushed, we are not despairing, we're not forsaken, we're not destroyed. Though death is our constant companion, yet through the Holy Spirit we experience life. We begin to realize that death is but an interruption to intention, but when I've got the Holy Ghost on the inside, though I'm surrounded by it all, though I'm pressed on every side, I'm not crushed. You can't crush the Holy Ghost. Though I'm persecuted, I've got the Spirit of God, this treasure in this earthen vessel. So no matter what I face, no matter what I go through, I'm surrounded and I'm filled by the Holy Ghost. It's a mystery. These things just shouldn't be that way with the suffering, the despair. With all of it, despondency should be our response. But when I recognize I'm pressed, but I am not crushed. I'm persecuted. I'm not abandoned. I'm not forsaken and I'm not destroyed. Not of my own volition, but because of the Holy Ghost. If it weren't for Him, I would be crushed. I would be abandoned. I would be forsaken. But He's on the inside of me. So when the crushing comes, I've got the Holy Ghost pushing back against the enemy. I've got something on the inside that says, Ah, not today, devil. You came thus far, but thus no further. 
You can't have my family. You might persecute them, but you can't have them. You might press against me, but you aren't going to crush me because I've got the Holy Ghost on the inside. I don't have strength in myself. Where I'm weak, though, his strength is put on display. Where I'm where I'm pushed and I'm pulled and I'm stretched, I understand that I have the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God, the third person of the Trinity on the inside of me. And it's not for my own glory, but it's for His. With the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, all that happens is more life, more power, more of Jesus, more of the reality of His presence in and around my life. Throw it at me because the Holy Ghost will bounce it right back. I was thinking of something the other day. Anyone remember that old uh, little thing that we used to say? I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Some of those who aren't from America are going, no, I don't know that one. (laughs) You see, this is the mystery of the Holy Spirit working supernaturally in our natural world and life to turn our negatives into positives. I'll never forget when I was in Uganda years ago, we were in the little market and we, it was our last day, and, and it had been a trip from, from hell, literally. Hell had shown up with all its fury. But we, we were pressed, but we were not crushed. And I'm in that little market, and I'm, I'm looking to, to, to buy a, a shirt. And as I've said many times, at that time I was much bigger. They didn't have my size anywhere. So this little lady was making me a shirt. She took three shirts and put them together to make one. Hallelujah. And this woman comes up to me, little little white woman. She says, she gets right up in my face. I'm a little freaked out, but right up in my face, she goes, you remind me of a young Smith Wigglesworth. I said, you knew Smith Wigglesworth? I said, hi, uh, who, who are you? She goes, I've lived here for like 70 years. She says, you know, faith, faith is the only thing you need. You need faith. And you only get faith in relationship with the Holy Spirit. I said, okay. She goes, you know, my husband had no faith. I'm thinking, what? And she tells this story. When the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, were killing everybody in Uganda, they were driving from one part of the country to another part, and they got stopped. They pulled her and her husband out of the car. They looked at them, and they, bam, shot her husband dead. Right there in front of her. She said, he had no faith. She said, I kept telling him he didn't need to be afraid kept telling him he needed to have more faith, that God would carry us through. But he was always so worried about the LRA, the LRA. He made their name bigger than the name of Jesus. And she pointed her little bony finger. She says, have faith in the Holy Ghost. She walked away. I thought, I've just been in the presence of a true general of faith. I don't even know her name. Never gave me her name. She'd lived in Uganda like 70 years. She had to have been 90. I mean, there was dust when she walked away. That's how old she was. (laughs) But it's a mystery, this faith. (laughs) I say things sometimes, and I don't catch what I say, and then I catch it, and I'm like, wow, I really just said that. It's a mystery. 
Moving on. Hallelujah. The strange and fantastic work of the Holy Spirit. I, I've told you many times I grew up Pentecostal, but you know, one of the things we didn't have in the church I grew up in was like all this laughing in the spirit, getting drunk in the Holy. We didn't have any of that. You know, our, our meetings were, were very put together. And, and oftentimes there, there would be miracles and we'd have the, the evangelist. When the evangelist came through, that's when everything happened. You waited for the evangelist, like Brother Petty. I've told you about him sometimes. He'd shake people so hard their shoulders would come out of socket. And he'd slap people with, with his hand and say, Take the Holy Ghost! And they'd get bruises on their face. I mean, he gave our pastor a black eye one time, all in the name of the Holy Ghost. And that, that was the move of God. And so I'll never forget, I think it was about 2006... Yeah, 2006, I know, sorry. Some of you tell stories that are much older than that. But in 2006, for me, this little Pentecostal boy, I walked into a Bethel meeting. I'd heard that this group from Bethel Reading was in town, and it was all these students, and they were doing something called a firestorm. That's what the weekend was called. A man named Joaquin Evans, he actually pastors Bethel Austin now, was leading this team. And I walk in, and I'm at the back, and they're, ah! rolling on the ground. This is not God. Why aren't they praying in the Holy Ghost? Where's the intercession? I'm sitting in the back. I said, God, this isn't you. This cannot be you. And they're rolling on the ground. And one of the team walked back to me and said, would you like me to pray for you? I said, absolutely not. He said, okay. I had never seen this stuff before. I knew of Brownsville. I'd never heard of Toronto. I'd never heard of renewal. I'd heard of revival. I'd heard of the manifestation of God. I'd read some stories, but I'd never seen anything like this. And I'm sitting at the back, and I am irritated. God, this can't be you. This cannot be you. This is undignified. This is disorderly. There's no decency in order here. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, Really? I don't think so. That's not you. And I began to argue with the Holy Ghost. And that young man walked back to me again and he said, I'd really like to pray for you if that would be okay. I said, fine. He went to touch me, didn't even touch me, and out of my belly, <laughs> just like that. I'm not kidding hit me, I hit the ground, I start rolling, officially became a holy roller, and was drunk in the Holy Ghost. I didn't get off the floor for six hours, laughing for six hours, all the while saying, God, this isn't you. I've been possessed by a devil, arguing for probably the first two hours. Unexplainable. And as I'm rolling on the ground, he says to me, don't you remember Acts 2? I said, yes. And he said, they supposed they were drunk. We can't explain how the Holy Ghost wants to move. We can't explain some of the manifestations. How could this be? People drunk all over the place. People laughing for hours. People doing the weirdest things. How, how could that be God? Well, you know what? It's not my job to define how God wants to move. Sometimes it's strange. If you've ever looked in the mirror, you understand it can be strange how God decides to create things. But the one thing 
that was undeniable for me about that weekend, the one thing that was undeniable about that encounter with God is the passion for Jesus that rose on the inside of me. The passion that was around those young people who had come to impart something to a community that was dry for the passion for lost souls. Because what they said is that Friday night was an encounter night to encounter the Holy Ghost. But the next morning, we were going to the streets. And we did. We, there was a, a, a uh, it's called Raisin Day. It's like a big festival thing. And, and there was a Scientology booth that year. And the Lord had given me a dream about a woman from Scientology that I'd lead to the Lord. Well, you know what happened the next day after rolling on the ground for six hours? I walked into that Scientology booth, found that woman named Anna, and gave her the gospel. She took off her yellow shirt and left Scientology and never returned. Because there's something that when we encounter the Holy Ghost, whether it's laughing or crying, it's not about the manifestation. It's about the fruit of the encounter. That's why I tell people all the time, don't give me a courtesy fall. Don't fall down because you think you need to stroke my ego when I'm praying for people. If you fall down, you better get up different. Otherwise, you wore out the ushers' backs. When I see the fruit, when I see the change, I don't understand everything I, I see, but it's undeniable that God is working in the hearts of people, and it's why we call it a mystery. Remember the moment when a man was let down through the roof who was paralyzed. Jesus heals him. Look at what the Bible says was the result. Luke 5.26 of the Amplified. And overwhelming astonishment and ecstasy seized them all. And they recognized and praised and thanked God. And they were filled with and controlled by reverential fear and kept saying, We have seen wonderful and strange and incredible and unthinkable things today. I love it. Astonishment. I love when someone encounters the Holy Ghost for the first time. I love it when someone comes into the move of God for the first time because the astonishment. Sometimes it's a little bit fear in their eyes. You, what is this? But then there's an ecstasy that's produced out of the presence of God. There's a praise. There's a thankfulness. There's a, a reverential fear. They kept saying, we've seen wonderful and strange and incredible and unthinkable things today. And I can testify to that, that over the many years that I've been preaching, over the many years that I've walked in the presence of God, in the many countries that I've been, I've seen many strange and unexplainable things. I watched in Uganda as the presence of God swept through a pastor's meeting and hundreds of pastors got delivered instantly of demons. Yeah, they were all pastors. They all had demons. They all needed deliverance. Let that say something to you. But I've watched as God has recreated arms. I've watched as God has uh, repositioned faces that were full. Over 180 screws in a man's face because they couldn't put it back together. But when God touched him, all the metal dissolved out of his body and his nose grew back. I've watched the many strange and unthinkable and unexplainable things. And I want to say to you, the standard is still the same. We do not have to decrease the move of the Holy Spirit for them because what they need and what they actually want is the move of the Holy Spirit because there's a, pe a, a people who are desperate and they're lost and they're going to hell and how will they know if they don't hear and how will they hear if no one preaches and so we've got to have it on the inside of us that the Holy Ghost empowers us unto something. Revival is always unto something. 
I love what God's doing at Asbury. I love it. I celebrate it. But let me say something to you, and I think this is a warning. If it doesn't produce unto something, we can have 24-hour, seven-day-a-week worship for the rest of our lives, but it will not save souls if we don't go. It won't produce something. So, so let me be clear. I celebrate Asbury. I celebrate. I'm excited for what God is doing there. It'll be interesting to see how they steward it because this is the last week at Asbury. They're moving it off campus. They can't sustain it anymore. Tonight's the last public meeting. They're shifting the whole thing because it's not sustainable in its current form. But let me say this, if it doesn't produce something, and the president of the university, I loved, I have loved how he has handled it. He said this, we do not call this revival. We call it an outpouring. Because revival has sustained societal transformation. That's what real revival is. It's sustained societal transformation. When revival hit Wales in the early 1900s, the donkeys didn't know how to pull the carts anymore because they had spent their lives being cussed at. And all of a sudden, all these farmers got saved and didn't cuss anymore. So the donkeys didn't know what to do. The, the liquor halls that were once overpopulated were now empty. And the people began to say, we can't serve liquor anymore, so use our place as a prayer meeting. That's revival. It's unto something. The move of God is unto something. It produces action. It produces people who say, I can't keep this to myself. I can't just make it about me. Revival's not about you. Revival's about him, and it's unto something to go get a people who need to be revived because they're dead in their sin. As we delve into the New Testament, we see that it becomes even more strange and fantastic. In Acts 2, uh, I'm sorry, in Acts 22, you'll get ready to read it. Paul says, I was in a trance. There are so many things that happened. I've seen it happen. People go into trances, eyes open, but they're seeing angels dancing around the room. They're getting encountered, but it always produced something. That's why I say all the time, don't listen to all these people who have pink hair and say they go to heaven every day. They're not producing anything. It's just producing more fanaticism. It's just producing more uh, entertainment. It should produce action. Every encounter should produce an anointing to do something. It should, when I encountered Jesus at six, part of what it was doing was protecting me from the severe abuse that I had been through. But you know what it did? It produced in me a desire because when he encountered me, he said, you'll go around the world and you'll tell the people of the Father's love. And it produced a mission on the inside of me that I would spend the rest of my life, no matter the cost, telling people that the Father loved them because I didn't know that then. And it took me 20 plus years to really understand that God loved me. It wasn't, I'll be honest, a pastoring a church. It wasn't until 2020, November 2020, that I fully understood that God loved me. Because we go through things, but every encounter, every time I was in his presence, it brought away another layer. It took me a little deeper. It produced something else in me. It caused me to be moved to action and moved with compassion. So let me tell you something. When you know the Holy Ghost, he will transform you. 
2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 4 says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows was caught up to the third heaven. He's talking about himself, but it was so holy, he dared not even say that it was himself. So let that be a standard right there. And I know that this man, whether in the body or away from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and he heard utterances beyond the power of man to put into words which man is not permitted to utter. And of course, the religious controlling believers today would deny these experiences. They would say, oh, God doesn't do that anymore. God stopped that with the apostles. I don't find a single scripture that says that. And read their Bible again. They can't explain them, so of course they're not of God. And I say the Holy Spirit, like a wind, does strange and fantastic things in our midst. So people are going to get drunk with the Spirit. People are going to laugh under the influence of the Holy Spirit. People are going to cry under the influence of the Holy Spirit. People are going to experience things when the Holy Spirit touches them. People are lifted into realms of passion, enthusiasm, encouragement, peace when the Spirit of God touches them. And people are changed for the better under the strange and fantastic manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And the only believer that I fully trust is a Holy Ghost drunk believer. Because I need to know that they've experienced Him. I need to know that they've had an encounter with the Holy Ghost. I need to know that they walk in relationship. Because here's what I do know. In the Old Testament, God said, I will not share my glory with another. And yet Jesus in John 17 says, Father, the glory you've given me, I give to them. So He invites us into the unshareable things of the Father. Let that sink in right there. Because only when we are fully submitted to the move and the work of the Holy Spirit can we truly see lasting change. What I love about this characteristic of the mystery of the Holy Spirit is that we have no idea of what He has in mind for tomorrow. But we do know this. It won't be contrary to His love, His joy, His peace, His goodness. It won't be contrary to those things. It will lead us into seeing more of the reality of God in our inheritance in Him than we presently have. It will only pull us into a greater sense of belonging and family. It will instill a heavenly mirth and happiness in us consistent with His joyfulness. And I say, Amen to that. I want to see a people transformed. John 14, 16, and 19 says this, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, so that He may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me. But you are going to see me because I live and you will also live. That's shouting material right there. For anyone seeking to retain a relevant, dynamic relationship with Jesus, here is the central issue. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. Jesus had been the helper, but He says, I'm going away. But don't worry about it. I'm sending another helper, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit that that you will receive will now become your helper. That word, Holy Spirit, that word for helper is the Greek word paraclete. Some say Paracletus has several renderings, comforter, helper, advocate. 
The closest word we get to is paraclete, being an advocate, like a lawyer in the courtroom. You're accused, so you have to appear before the judge. But you need an expert to defend you, to speak to the issues. The advocate, the defense lawyer, now stands with you to plead your case, supports you, your defense counsel. The Bible says that he is the, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. So when the enemy begins to accuse you of your past... The Holy Ghost rises up on the inside of you and says, Shelly, that's under the blood. The Holy Spirit begins to rise up on the inside of you and say, no, 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 no. You don't have any legal ground there. I know what the Word says. And the Word says, I've been redeemed. I'm a new creation. That's not who I am anymore. The Word says, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. The Word says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the Word even says that where I'm weak, His strength is put on display. So devil, your lies, they don't work here because the Holy Ghost is on the inside of me and He's advocating for me. He's my defense. In John 16, 33, Jesus made it clear that in this world you will have trouble. Tribulation. Further understanding comes clear. You will have spiritual and demonic attacks that will come your way. But we will be given an expert in defending us, standing with us, encouraging and strengthening us. And that person is the Holy Ghost. And that's why we must become familiar and personal with the Holy Spirit. We must know the third person of the Trinity, the one who stands and works with us through all the trials that we face. We must know him. It is now powerfully that we understand that when in verse 17, he is referred to as the spirit of truth, that for, for most attacks for the believer, it starts right here. It starts in the mind. Things we think about ourselves, the negative viewpoints, how bad we feel, how unworthy we may think we are to come before God. The idea, obviously, that there will be lies against us and things we may think about ourselves, about God, and about anything spiritual. But now the Holy Spirit is our helper, our comforter, our advocate, our defense lawyer, and He speaks to our hearts and minds the truth. That's why we must know Him. To be a good lawyer, you have to know your clients. You've got to be in relationship with the clients. I remember talking to, to a lawyer in New Zealand one time. And he said, I spend the first two hours, and I don't charge for this. He said, I spend the first two hours with a client. He, he wasn't from New Zealand, but he was in New Zealand. I spend the first two hours just getting to know, and I don't charge for that. Because I want to know my client. I want to know if I can represent them well. I want to be able to speak to the issues of their heart. We cannot have the lawyer fighting on our behalf if he doesn't know the inner workings of ourself. So we've got to invite the Holy Spirit to know us. And we've got to know Him. We've got to be in intimate relationship with Him. In the face of false accusations and false and fake news that the enemy seeks to impose upon us, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the defense lawyer, speaks truth to our hearts to ensure freedom both in our minds as well in our spirits. The Lord spoke to me one day. I was in a situation and I just couldn't get peace about it. And I was sitting in my car and I looked over. And anyone ever noticed in the mirror? It says things may be bigger than they appear. Or things may be smaller. It says one of the smaller. Things may be smaller than they appear. And the Lord spoke that to my heart. He said the enemy has conflated this situation and things are smaller than they appear. And I said, okay, God, what do I do about that? 
and he gave me strategy in an instant. I called the person. I spoke into the situation. I said, I think we've had a misunderstanding about this, 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 and this. And I think that it's become bigger than it really is. And this person goes, I think you're right. They still left the church, but oh well. Still carried offense in their heart because things were bigger than they actually were. We have to understand that the enemy seeks to conflate the issues in our lives, but the Holy Spirit comes to reveal truth to us so that we have a, a weapon in our hands to stand against the schemes of the enemy. That's why we must know the Holy Spirit. The reality is, is that the Holy Spirit guides you and I into truth and in doing so brings us closer to Jesus. John 16, 13, and 14, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. I'm going to read it again. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All arguments cease at that point as to whether or not that what we see and experience here is of God or not. Because if it's of God, it will point to Jesus and it will glorify Jesus. You see, people often want to know, what is the fruit of the move of the Holy Spirit? I have people ask me all the time, what's the purpose of someone getting drunk in the Holy Ghost? Well, I've, I've been sober for years. I had an issue with alcohol, being very transparent. I couldn't, I couldn't drink it. When I had a drink, I wanted more than one. And the Holy Spirit convicted me about it one day and said, you're going to lose your family. We didn't even have kids then if you keep on this path. So I abstained from it completely. But when I would drink, I would lose my filter. I, I had no, no filter. I already don't have a filter. It's already not there. But I would begin to disclose the inner things in my heart. All of a sudden, it was like truth serum for me. I'd tell people what I thought. I'd tell people how I felt. Well, I think sometimes the Holy Ghost comes to take away your inhibitions, to get to the root of the issues in your heart so that it can start to come up and be dealt with. Because in our religious strongholds, we put on really good, really good front. I'm holy. Everything's good. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Everything, I'm blessed and highly favored. And on the inside, you're going, I'm worthless, nothing. I hate people. People hate me. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do these things. And the Holy Ghost comes so that he can get to the very root of those issues and deal with them and get you free and lead you into a closer relationship with Jesus. That's why we must know the Holy Ghost. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love the move of the Spirit. But ultimately, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus. To glorify Jesus. So when people say, what's the point of all of it? They're getting closer to Jesus. What is the fruit of it? Check their life. Because I could take you through stories even in, the, even in this room of people that I know that when they came here were suicidal. And they encountered the Holy Ghost. People who dealt with depression. People who dealt with not ever feeling loved by God. I've said in my office, if people have gotten touched by the Spirit of God and they've encountered God in a counseling session and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I don't feel like how I used to. I don't want to stab that person in the neck anymore. I had someone say that to me one day. I don't want to stab that person in the neck anymore. I actually want to bless them now. 
Because when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, he deals with the inner workings of the heart. That's what it's all about, church. It's about transformation. It's about the fruit. Are they getting closer to Jesus? Because he says he will glorify me, will take what is mine and disclose it to you. The answer is simple. My relationship with Jesus has become more real, more intimate, more powerful, more effective because of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important to have continual encounters. That's why it's important you must have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's why we have Encounter Weekend. If you've not been through an Encounter Weekend, clear out March 3rd and 4th. You don't need to do anything else. Get an encounter with God. It's a time to get healed up. It's a time to get freed up. And it's a time to get filled up. Now, if you've gone through Encounter Weekend one or two or three times, serve that weekend. Help someone else have an encounter with the Lord. But if you've never been through Encounter Weekend, it's a time that we set apart for you to get free, for you to get healed, and to get filled. We're going to have testimonies of what has happened to people at Encounter Weekend. Because I'm telling you, it's not just that we want to do another thing. Can we just be real? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of sacrifice. But I'm telling you, what happens at Encounter Weekend transforms people's lives. Because it's the Holy Ghost. And that's what He does, is He comes to get you free. He comes to heal you. And He comes to fill you. So that you might fulfill the purpose He created you for. Which is to know God and make Him known. To know God and make Him known. How that happens, that's in the outworkings of your life. Your individual personality, your individual calling. But ultimately, the chief end of man is to know God and to make Him known. And to do that, you need to get filled up. You need to get freed up. You need to get healed up. So come to Encounter Weekend. Really good plug right there, right, Pastor Jay? Good job. Hallelujah. Oh, I don't need your hand clap. I was just joking. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 18 and 20. Do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord always giving thanks for all the things in the name of the Lord our Jesus Christ to God and our Father. Two things here, and I'm going to get ready to wrap up. You're exhorted to be filled, and it's spoken about how to be filled. It's an important thing to understand here. The contrast is to being filled with alcohol to the point of getting drunk versus being filled with the Holy Spirit to the point of overflowing. When you get drunk with the Holy Spirit, it's a Greek word, it's a, it's a doing word. It says, be filled. It's continual. Never stops. It's supposed to be a daily occurrence that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need your daily fill-ups. You need it. And this way of living has three amazing results. Keeps us closer to Jesus. Keeps others closer to Jesus as we encourage each other by speaking to one another. And Galatians 5.16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. As I close this morning, I want to tell you, when you're full of the Holy Ghost, I dare you try and speak in tongues and then think about bitterness towards someone else. It won't work. I dare you speak in tongues and watch your offenses begin to fall off. When I start to get offended with someone, I literally, in my head, start going, Jesus, help me not punch them in the throat. And then all of a sudden, it starts to transform. 
Because when we walk by the Spirit, we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. When we walk by the Spirit, we don't fulfill our offenses. When we walk by the Spirit, we deal with our bad attitudes. When we walk by the Spirit, we find that we don't struggle with the same things that we were struggling with because the Holy Spirit transforms us. I joke about wanting to punch people in the throat. I really don't want to punch people in the throat most of the time. When I'm in Houston driving, that's another story. But I want to say to you, there are attitudes that we all have. There are things that we all struggle with. There are issues that we've left undealt with, with the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. My wife is great about calling me on things. I'm great about calling her on things. We have a great relationship that way. The Holy Spirit, even more so. Even more so. Because he's our paraclete. He's our advocate. He wants to make sure that the enemy has no room in our hearts. He wants to make sure that every door in our hearts is closed. He wants to make sure that every access point for the enemy, the Holy Spirit comes and he checks the walls of our life and goes, here's a weak spot. Here's where some bricks are missing. Here's where you need to shore it up a little bit. And when you do that, when you let the Holy Spirit do that, you become that stronghold of hope that Zechariah talks about. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. I want to be a prisoner of hope. I want to be in the stronghold, the fortress. Our God is a mighty fortress. I want to be hidden in Him that the enemy can find nothing in me. And that happens through relationship with the Holy Spirit. We pray that your life was impacted today by the presence of God. For more information about the Equipping Church or to give online, please visit www.equippingchurch.us.